You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Beyond the Headlines with your host, veteran journalist, Darren Nichols. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Darren Nichols. Our guest today is Kristen Jordan Seamus of the Detroit Free Press, who will be discussing the case of Titus Cromer, a man whose family is seeking to keep him alive while he's on life support. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Hi, Darren. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, before we get into the, the substance of, of what we're here today, um, t- tell folks a little bit about yourself and what you have been covering at the Free Press over the years. Absolutely. So I have been at the Free Press since 2003, and I've covered a whole range of topics, um, working in several different departments, from education to healthcare to feature stories. I've written columns that touch on politics. Um, so I've, I've got a, a long long time at the free press. Okay. And so how did, well, first give us an overview um, of of this particular case and how it came your way. Okay. So most recently I've been covering healthcare and this story came my way when I got a message uh, from a man who represents a lawyer who is helping the family of Titus Cromer Jr., um, he was brought to Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak and was placed on life support in mid-October. So it happened, uh, some accident happened that the family hasn't disclosed on October 17th. And Titus is 16 years old and he was taken, you know, by ambulance to Beaumont and admitted and doctors tried to save him. Um, and so the lawyer at this point had reached out to me through his representative to ask whether I'd be willing to write a story about what was going on because Beaumont Hospital at that point had determined that Titus was brain dead and they wanted to disconnect him from life support, but his family desperately wanted to keep him going. Um, and so this attorney was about to file court action in Oakland County Circuit Court to stop the hospital system from being able to remove him from life support. Okay. and so. What landed, what, how is it going now? What is the, obviously they filed uh, uh, court relief, but tell me sort of where this issue is standing now. Sure. So the story's taken a lot of twists and turns uh, since that day. Um, you know, they, they went into Oakland County Circuit Court. Um, the judge there, Hala Jarbo, she issued a temporary restraining order and then set a court hearing for this past Thursday. So it would have been, I guess, what would have been today? Yes. Uh, she set a hearing for today um, to follow up. And in the meantime, uh, there have been negotiations ongoing between the hospital and the family's lawyer trying to come up with some sort of solution. Um, in those negotiations, you know, Beaumont is saying, Titus is brain dead, therefore he's clinically dead, therefore we cannot do anything, you know, any kind of surgery or any kind of procedures to his body. And they're keeping him on life support because of the court order. Um, however, they, they believe it's ethically irresponsible to do anything more than that. Um, 
what the family is, is asking for is for a doctor to perform two procedures on Titus. One is called a tracheostomy, where a tube is inserted into the throat so that the ventilator can be attached and it, it works a little bit easier. It's a little bit less difficult on the body when they do that. And then the family also wants him to have a feeding tube put into his abdomen. And those two things are a requirement to transfer Titus to a long-term care facility where he can, you know, continue to get treatment and the family hopes recover. Um, but Beaumont won't do those things, the lawyer says, because they believe it's unethical to perform surgery on someone who is already brain dead. Um, and so that's sort of where the legal battle is right now. Okay. Uh, the family can't have Titus transferred out of Beaumont until those procedures happen, but Beaumont isn't willing to do those procedures. And the attorney for the family is saying Beaumont won't even allow a doctor from outside the hospital system to come in and do those procedures. Okay. And why has the hospital said anything other than we can't do it? What What is the hospital saying on their end? The hard thing for the hospital, and it's because of health privacy laws, so it's got to be very difficult on their on their side of it, um, because they can't really communicate much of anything about Titus or his condition or about what decisions they're making um, without violating those health privacy laws called HIPAA laws. Okay. I mean, and when we go to the doctor, you sign that form that says, you know, that you understand that the law says the hospital system cannot disclose anything to anyone other than, you know, who you've said can, can learn information. So the hospital system is really tied um, by that law. Uh, but it has ha has said, however, you know, that while it can't detail anything that's happening or the negotiations or anything at all, um, they've said that they're continuing to abide by the court order, which is to keep Titus on life support, and that they empathize deeply with the family in this situation. Okay. And has, has um, the lawyer or his family told you anything about Titus because they haven't disclosed, as you said, um, how he landed in the hospital, but have they, have they uh, talked about um, who Titus was and sort of the things about him? Yeah. So I've been trying to talk to Titus's mother. I've been trying to get an interview with her and I've not been able to. The lawyer um, is sort of blocking that right now saying that she's distressed and she's spending all of her available time at the hospital by her son's side. Uh, but what he has told me is that Titus was a varsity wrestler at the University of Detroit Jesuit High School, um, that he was a popular kid, he loved music, um, he loved hanging out with his friends. You know, he was a typical teenage boy. Okay. And I know you mentioned where, where, um, the family stands, but what sort of, what kind of puts them in this kind of position? Is this sort of common or is this something that is done um, specifically by Beaumont or is this um, a reoccurring theme that you've seen over time? Sure. So um, the state has a law. It's a a sort of definition of when brain death happens. Um, and it was enacted in the 90s uh, to set a standard and to establish, you know, when a doctor, because it's sort of blurry, right? When is someone officially brain dead or not in terms of what the average person thinks about? And so there's something called Michigan's Determination of Death Act. And 
it dictates when brain death has occurred. And that's when there's no more circulatory or respiratory functions um, in the body. And, and that's irreversible. And when all the functions of the brain, including the brainstem, have irreversibly stopped. Um, and once that happens, you know, a hospital is within its rights to remove life support because that person is officially dead. Um, however, if the family doesn't consent to that and doesn't give permission, it gets a little bit squishy. Uh, and that's where we've seen another case recently involving another teenager um, out at C.S. Mott Children's Hospital in Ann Arbor. Uh, his name was Bobby Reyes, and he was also um, declared brain dead by the hospital. And that was after he had an asthma attack. And then the asthma attack spurred a heart attack and there was loss of oxygen to the brain. And his family fought to try to keep him on life support. But the courts ultimately allowed the University of Michigan to conduct a second examination to determine brain death. And then he was removed from life support later that day. Okay. And in Titus's case, what kind of situation is he in? You know, um, the hospital has done their assessments and are declaring brain death. There is another doctor who Titus's family brought in to have a look at him yesterday. Uh, Beaumont, his attorneys are saying that Beaumont wouldn't allow him to do an examination. However, this other doctor, his name is Richard Bonfiglio, and he's a specialist from Murraysville, Pennsylvania. So he visited Beaumont yesterday and saw Titus and talked to his mother um, and it was his conclusion that Titus is showing signs of brain activity. He said that um, he's able to maintain his own body temperature without assistance. Um, and what Bonifiglio was saying was that if Titus were brain dead, to, to keep his own body warm and to regulate his own body, it wouldn't be possible. He would need a heating blanket. Um, he also argued that Titus is maintaining his own blood pressure and pulse without medicine and that he's been taken off the ventilator at times and been able to maintain his own breathing for a bit bit of time, um, which is something that this doctor says would not be possible uh, with, with brain death. But it must be noted when I say that they brought in Dr. Bonfiglio, Bonfiglio is associated with the Terry Schiavo Life and Hope Network, which is an advocacy organization created in the wake of the Terry Schiavo you know, ordeal back in the early 2000s. Okay. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about um, the Terry Schiavo um, group. Oh, sure. Uh, so it was kind of a famous case. I don't know if you remember it at all. Um, but it happened back, you know, initially Terry Schiavo was a woman. She lived in Florida and she had a heart attack in 1990 at a very young age. I want to say she was 25 or 26 when it happened. And because of that, she lost oxygen to her brain and it caused her to be in a vegetative state for years afterward. Um, her husband, Michael Schiavo, insisted that he wouldn't, that, that she didn't want to live that way, that she wouldn't have wanted to live on life support um, in a feeding tube. And so he got a court order to disconnect her feeding tube, even though Terry's parents and her brother opposed that. They argued that, that she would want to live. Um, and so he eventually went to court and got a court order, and the feeding tube was disconnected from Terry Schiavo, and she died 13 days later in 2005. Um, but it was very, very controversial, and there was tons of media coverage. Um, it was a really big deal. Okay. Um, 
tell me a little bit about how the family is doing, um, obviously through the lawyer. Um, have Has he talked about how difficult it's been on the family, um, how they're doing, any of those kind of, kinds of things? Yeah, he said it's been extremely stressful. I mean, they're really worried. They don't really know what to do at this point. They're trying to get their son moved to a long-term care facility, but there are just a lot of obstacles in the way, and it's really, really hard. Um, you know, in addition, it's going to be very expensive to continue all this care and to pay the attorneys and all that other stuff. So someone in the family has created a GoFundMe page for Titus's family, um, and that's amassed already. Well, yesterday night, it had amassed already over $17,000. Okay. And and so, it, I mean, clearly it is hard on the family, but what sort of, I don't know, what sort of galvanizes them? What sort of makes them have the hope in the hospital system that it will do right? Because, you know, primarily in the African-American community, um, there already is a distrust of the hospital, of hospitals and of doctors. And so what makes the family trust Beaumont? What makes um, them trust uh, the hospital system? I wish I could answer that question. I don't really know the answer to it at all. And I think you raise a really valid and important point. Um, you know, I, I think in this case, Titus was taken by ambulance to Beaumont. I don't know if the family directed the ambulance to Beaumont or whether that is just where he ended up. And now that's where he is. And he really can't move. He can't leave if he doesn't have the feeding tube and the tracheostomy. So they're sort of caught in this bind right now. Um, and, I, and I don't really know what they're doing in terms of being able to maintain that faith and that hope that the hospital system will do the right thing. I, I really don't know. Um, but I have to say it's got to be difficult. Sure. And so there will be a hearing next week. Talk to me a little bit about that and what sort of what you sort of can anticipate um, both sides sort of arguing. Sure. So, you know, unless there is some sort of break in the negotiations, uh, you know, and, and some sort of agreement is made whereby Titus can be moved. Um, his family's lawyer was saying that there was a chance that they might be able to find another hospital system or medical facility that might take Titus on a transfer to perform the tracheostomy and the feeding tube. And then after that, then he could then be moved to the long-term care facility. And I think that's what they're sort of hoping for right now. Um, but unless there's some sort of break in the negotiations or in unless there's some sort of deal made, There'll be a court hearing on November 14th that morning in the judges' chambers where some decision will have to be made. And I don't really know exactly what will be made or what decision will come of it, but something will have to happen. Okay. And and as a reporter, I mean, how do you separate yourself from from the emotional part of it to get to the meat of the issues that are involved in, in a case such as this? really hard. I mean, you look at his face and, you know, I have kids, I have a teenager at home too. And I think about what I might want to do or might feel in a situation like this. And it's a hard thing to do to remove yourself, but we really can't let ourselves go there because it would make doing this job impossible. There are stories like these in every community 
you know, maybe not this particular case in which there's a, a person who's been declared brain dead and the family disagrees with that judgment, but certainly difficult decisions and hard stories and emotional stories are, are written every day in every community in America. And if, if journalists got too tied to them, we'd, we'd never be able to keep doing our work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I clearly have been in some of these situations as well. And, and so it is very hard to, to deal with, um, a death or someone who is on life support. So I certainly understand um, where you're coming from there. Um, in terms of, have you done any sort of research about um, nationally um, how these situations are, are handled and, and carried out? Yeah. So it's interesting. There have been other cases like this. Um, and generally speaking, you know, they end differently depending on the court and what is decided. I mean, in Terry Schiavo's case, she wasn't declared brain dead. She was in a vegetative state, which is different. Um, and in her case, the judge allowed the feeding tube to be removed. In the case that just happened here in Ann Arbor with Bobby Reyes, uh, you know, the, the venue, the, the lawyer who was initially representing the family, the very first attorney that the Reyes family um, hired, filed court action in the wrong venue. And so it ended up being that the judge who was hearing his case didn't have the authority to make any determination. And because of that, that led to him being removed from life support. If, if the lawyer had instead filed in the state's court of claims, the outcome might have been different. Um, so it was sort of like a, a legal mix-up that led to that okay. decision. Um, but there is some literature in clinical studies. Um, there was a study in the Journal of Neurology about a 13-year-old girl in California. Uh, her name was Jahi, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct, correctly, um, Jahi McMath, and she was declared brain dead in 2013. Um, she had had tonsillectomy, adenoidectomy, and sinus surgery. And after those surgeries, there were complications and she ended up, you know, not having enough blood circulation to the brain and she was declared brain dead. Um, what's interesting about this one is, is that there are a lot of parallels to Titus's case um, because Jahi's family also said she was not dead because of her beating heart and her movement in response to touch. And Titus's mother has also said that he has moved his hand um, you know, when, when she's there visiting him from time to time. Um, Jahi's family also sought a court order uh, to keep her on life support, and they eventually found a place to move her for long-term care, but they also needed a surgeon to place the tracheostomy tube in the feeding tube. Um, somehow all of that got done, and she was moved to an undisclosed rehab center where she lived for about four years until doctors finally um, said that her liver had stopped functioning and, and then she died. The question is whether she had been dead all that time and it had just been her body that was still around and functioning because of the machines or whether she was officially dead four years later. And, and that's, there's some debate there. A death certificate was initially issued for her back in 2014, soon after she had had the the tonsillectomy and had that adverse reaction. But the family's lawyer told CNN that he was working to change her death certificate so that it said June 22nd, 2018. Okay. I'm so it's interesting. You know, 
it sparked a lot of discussion about how much time hospitals should give families of patients who've been declared brain dead before removing life support. Um, there aren't any real clinical guidelines about how much time should be given because every family's a little bit different, you know. Um, it's a challenge, I think, you know, for, for hospital systems and for doctors to try to deal with these situations. Sure. And, and for that, families, too. And that sort of leads me to my next question because it appears from what you're, you're telling me that that this varies um, in, a wide, in a wide spectrum. And so – where will there be some sort of uniform uniformity in sort of what um, is declared brain dead or not? Sure. So, so the guidelines for what is and what isn't brain dead are actually pretty clear because of that determination of death statute in Michigan. So, you know, it's those two things that have to happen. There has to be that cessation, irreversible cessation of circulation. Let me see if I can find specifically what it says and I can read it to you so that you get the full description. Okay, so under the law, it says, to determine brain death, an individual individual who has sustained either one of the following two is dead. Irreversible cessation of circulatory and respiratory functions and irreversible cessation of all function of the entire brain, including the brainstem. And so those are the two requirements. And what Beaumont Hospital is saying is that their evaluations of Titus indicate that both of those are true. Hmm. And so, so, so you're in a, people are in a position where the hospital can say one thing and you're, discovering other things. And so it appears as if Titus is sort of in a gray area. I'm not sure. I mean, it's hard. I, I, I'm not an expert to say. All I can say is what the hospital system is saying and what this other independent doctor is saying are different. Okay. And I'm, and I'm not really in a place to, to judge just to report what I'm being Sure, told. sure, sure. And so... Um, obviously, you talked about um, the case coming up next week. How long do you think this will go on and sort of describe in a little bit more what uh, what will what can happen in the next uh, in this process? Sure. So the next court hearing uh, would be November 14th um, in Oakland County Circuit Court. And the question is whether the judge will decide to have Beaumont continue to keep him on life support or allow Beaumont to remove that life support or make other, some other determination in the middle, such as, you know, they have to allow another doctor to come in to perform the tracheostomy and the feeding tube uh, insertion, or perhaps say Beaumont, a Beaumont doctor has to do it themselves, or perhaps say none of that applies. But I, I have a feeling something will probably happen uh, by November 14th. Okay. And um, as we get ready to wrap up, um, sort of give me your final thoughts on uh, your, on what's going on here. And um, and then while we're talking about it, also give uh, listeners uh, uh, your information so that they can reach you and discuss this issue further. Absolutely. So um, – 
you know, my my overall thoughts are just this is an incredibly sad story. It's a it's a sad, sad case and certainly we hope that nobody else has to experience it and go through what this family's going through. Um and then from from the hospital perspective too, to be, you know, in kind of in the middle of this and being on this this in this situation where they, they can't because of privacy laws um speak about it. You know, that's that's a challenge too. It's just kind of how it is. Um, and certainly if people want to talk to me now or at any point about this story or other stories, they're welcome to reach out to me at the Free Press. Um, my email address is kshamus at freepress.com. I'm on Twitter. You can follow me at Kristen Seamus, um, or you can look for my, my stories on the website. Okay. Well, thank you, Kristen. We appreciate you spending a little bit of time um, talking about this important case, and we'll definitely keep an eye on what's going on um, real soon. Thanks a lot, Darren. Thank you. And this is another edition of Beyond the Headlines. We thank you for listening this week. And as we leave Beyond the Headlines, we'd like to always leave you with an inspirational quote to ponder for the next show. This one comes from Susan L. Taylor. In every crisis, there is a message. Crises are nature's way of forcing change, breaking down old structures, shaking loose negative habits so that something new and better can take their place. Until next time, we'll see you on Beyond the Headlines.